0: Hey now, welcome to the Dirty Side of the Track. It's America's leading Formula One podcast. I'm Brian, that's Rob. We're happy you're here today. Rob, tell everyone what they can appreciate coming up in
1: this episode. Well, today we're going to try and keep things uh, short and sweet around news and social and Silverstone preview because we've got an action-packed show. We've got uh, an interview with Blake, who is an ex-performance engineer, spent 10 years working at Force India and Red Bull. So that's going to be the majority of the show. We caught up with him earlier this week and it was... uh it was a great time. Really enjoyed Amazing. it, Brian. Amazing, guys. Right. So, so much fun. You guys are going to love this interview. So, uh, so yeah, so let's crack on and get through news and social, which thankfully wasn't a huge amount of it this week, being as we don't want to burn too much time on it. Um, the first thing that caught my eye, and it was the one, first thing I wrote down in the notes, because it happened fairly early on in the week, was the alleged powwow of all the team principals that gathered after Canada. And it, it kind of sounded like bit of a schoolyard, he said, she said, and kind of throwing insults at each other. But what it really boiled down to is that people are suspicious that Mercedes got some kind of tip-off ahead of the new regs that were coming in, because I didn't even realise this when we did our review, but apparently they ran that car with some extra second stabiliser underneath the car or something that was now allowed under the new regulations to reduce the bouncing. And they were able to MacGyver this together in like less than 24 hours notice and all the other teams are going there's no way you manage that in 24 hours on a formula
0: one car which gets tested ad nauseum in wind tunnels and everywhere and they were able to just we're supposed to assume they just took the thing and then welded it onto the side of the car and then said yeah that'll work Chewing no (laughs) way there's no way like no way they just took it and they go oh it's illegal now where do you want to put it i don't know over here and they, like, duct-taped it on, like, Yuki's rear wing, and they called it a day. There's no way! That doesn't make any sense.
1: And then just to add um, fuel to the fire, um, and this probably has got nothing to do with it, but if you wear your cynical hat, you look at it and go, mm, which is, uh, which, by the way, that's the noise you make when you're cynical. I was going to um, say, is that the noise as you
0: put the tinfoil onto
1: your head uh, <laughs> that your hat is made of? But I agree,
0: this is also look bad, so you got to say it.
1: So, um... Shaila Ann Rao, if I've said that right, is the former executive of Mercedes that has left and been appointed at a temporary uh, role in the FIA since the beginning of June. And, and that's what these accusations are saying is you got some little kind of uh, text message from your insider saying oh, yeah. you might want to start considering looking at some kind of stabiliser bar because there might be something coming. I I, I wouldn't I'd like to think that didn't happen but like you say, the fact they pulled this out of the fire with like a minute's notice is yeah. a bit... It's anyway,
0: weird. It yeah, doesn't look good. So after the race, there was a lot of conversation last week about Max hitting his 150th GP in Canada. And obviously he's been wildly successful world champion. And someone at F1 published a graphic that made its way around Twitter. And it was Fernando, and it was Lewis, and it was Seb, and it was Max after the first 150 races. And the internet and F1 Twitter went crazy. For comparing Lewis and Max and why one's better than the other and why the other one sucks, and so it was on and on and on. And what was being missed was that Seb far outpointed everybody after 150 races, like he's right there in the graphic. And they're like, Well, yeah, Max, Lewis, Max is better than Lewis, Lewis better than Max. On and on, Seb most wins of all of them, Seb 41, seven more than Lewis, most podiums, Seb one more than Lewis, 73, most polls, Seb 45, five more than Lewis. Most fastest laps, Seb, 24, three more than Lewis. Most world titles after 150 races, Seb, four. Twice as many as Fernando and Lewis and three more than Max. But everyone was up in arms about Max and Lewis. You're missing the point. The point is um... the greatness
1: of Seb. Can you not bring facts and well-rounded arguments into a Lewis versus Max debate, please? It's Uh, it's not welcome here. (laughs) I should
0: not do that. I mean, all of those guys are amazing drivers. I didn't mention enough about Fernando. He has some amazing stats there, too. It just, it was crazy. But speaking of people who have driven for Ferrari,
1: why don't we talk a little bit about what... Mattia Benotto had to say, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I am the eternal optimist, and I am hoping there's a Ferrari fight back on the way um, before the break so that we've got something to look forward to as a a good end to the season. And we all saw signs kind of chasing down Max and felt maybe if that had been Leclerc in that car, he might have got him, but there was apparently some reason to maybe that pace that kept them in touch with red bull and and why it might be better in the hands of leclerc is that they actually brought a new wing uh, an upgrade package to montreal and the, uh, a rear wing specifically designed for closing the um top speed gap to red bull so you know Maybe cautiously optimistic here that um, if that Ferrari can plug that speed gap and Leclerc doesn't have to start from the back of the grid um, and a Ferrari doesn't blow up uh, and they don't mess (laughs) up the strategy, um, yeah.
0: (laughs) So it's a sure thing. Sure thing you're saying. (laughs) Put them in your lineup now for the British GP.
1: Yeah, Uh, and then it'd be remiss of us not to give a very small bit of airtime, but we will, um, to what made the news everywhere was um, uh, F1, uh, Red Bull reserve driver uh, VIPs strange surname but there we are vips, Uri uh, Uri vips has been suspended yep. uh over a racial slur he made during a gaming stream so that is what it is um probably got a lot more column inches and in coverage than it seemed to go crazy on twitter but you know just because you're away from your job and you're deciding to stream stuff online you know you can't be doing those kind of things and uh the internet is always watching so well and i mean you don't just casually drop
0: the n-word is the other exactly. thing it's... so that's that either you use it regularly or you don't ever so he obviously uses it anyway Pierre signed AlphaTauri 2023, um, first domino in, in the Silly season. He really had nowhere to go. I mean, what better team had a spot open for him? So um, I'm excited Pierre will be at AlphaTauri um, and get a chance to kind of continue to bond with Yuki if they keep Yuki and kind of watch what happens. Puki hashtag P-Yuki, we love it. ESPN, big news. Um, just uh, recently was announced they won the rights for Formula One in the States. And so it was a bidding war. And I got to I got to just highlight one thing real fast. For the last 3 years, ESPN has been been paying 5 million dollars a year for the right to show the Sky Sports feed and to to you know to share it in the states, to have that ownership. 5 million dollars a year. The new deal, they're paying $75 to $90 million a year. That is, you want to talk about inflation? I'm done <laughs> complaining about the gas prices. It, they were like, hey, five bucks, five bucks, 80 bucks. Like, what happened? And that's with a million. Like, holy cow. They beat out Amazon, who had a higher bid apparently, but was really trying to sub license it to um, other broadcasters as well. Comcast was going in heavy with Peacock, which apparently turned them off a little. And then Netflix came in lower on the money. So, Congratulations to ESPN! Awesome, I love the coverage as it is now. I uh, can't wait for it to continue. And then, last couple things, just before we get to the interview, um, one of my favorite tweets of the week. I have to highlight it. Sky Sports F1 put out the greatest F1 driver to have never won a Grand Prix was dot dot dot, and then Nick Heidfeld replied with nick heidfeld yeah, and so i almost peed my pants laughing for everyone who does not know nick heidfeld has run the second most gps without a win in the history of formula one behind andrea de Cesaris or de Crasharis, as he's also known heidfeld 183 started gps never finished first he did finish second so for him to get on there and go me <laughs> i thought that was <laughs> classy in quality um couple videos to highlight, I noticed this, I'd never seen this before, so if people have been watching this and not telling me about it, then shame on you. But Ferrari puts out a race beats after each race, or at least has this year. Again, I'd never seen it before the Canadian Grand Prix, or I guess after the Canadian Grand Prix, and it's just an animated recap of the Ferrari race. It is fun to watch. It's just the Ferrari cars, it's animated, and you kind of see as they're progressing through the race where they're going, who they're racing, and it's got some music to it, and I'm like, all right, rock on Ferrari, so... They'll have to do
1: something to add some uh, sparkle to it, being as they're not doing it actually in the race at the moment. Well,
0: right? you know, the strategists, when they're not working on the strategy during the race, they work on the race beats on the side. Like, oh, oh should we oh. Should we have changed tires?
1: I was going to say, or maybe they're too busy doodling for the uh, for the cartoon and uh, forgetting that. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. Did we just double stack them by mistake? <laughs>
0: yeah, we told them to come in. Oh, he's here? <laughs> uh, one more Ferrari note. You guys know I love the teammates who seem to have chemistry. And I already talked about hashtag pukey. The C squared challenge, uh, it was called Feeling Twenty Two with Carlos and Charles. It was recorded before the season. A little bit about what they knew about the upcoming season. It was fun. It was okay. But the big winner of the week, and I tweeted this out uh, just recently. You have to go watch it if you have not seen it. It is the F one game rating reveal. It is gold. It is so great. It is you get Haas, Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, Red Bull, McLaren, Alpine. Uh, it is fantastic because they go through each of the components of the driver scores and the teammates reveal each other's scores. And they guess first. So it's not just a straight reveal. They go, oh, what do you think about uh, Daniel's racecraft?" And Lando's like, well, it's all right. And so the point is, and I just kind of highlighted this, McLaren. Oh, my God. It was, uh, we've talked on this here channel many times about the relationship that does not seem to have developed yet between Daniel and Lando. And who knows? We're on the outside end, right? So big caveat. What do we know? But every time they release a video, and every time we talk about it, we talk about how awkward the relationship feels, especially coming off the bromance of Carlando. So I watch this, and Lando is clearly, visibly getting pissed from the way Daniel keeps giving him low scores. They finally (laughs) get into racecraft, and Lando writes for Daniel. They go, what do you think for Daniel? And he writes, and it's hard to tell. Let's say it's 2019 or 2012, doesn't matter. It's the past. He writes 94, which is a really high score. It's out of 100. But then he writes for 2022, 20, 34. You have to understand, there's no scores under like a 60 of anything for anybody. Like Latifi's ability to avoid crashes is above a 60. He gave Daniel a 34 on RaceCraft this year. Daniel was so angry and like he tried to laugh it off and walk out. Oh my God, I think I would have punched him in the face. I mean, <laughs> so go, go watch. You got to watch. It is epic. And, and on that, we are very excited to launch into the interview with Blake. Um, so excited he came on the channel. We just recorded a couple of days ago. Hope everyone enjoys it as much as we did uh, talking to Blake.
1: Well, hey, right, we're super excited now to get an interview with uh, an ex F1 employee. We've been hunting him down on Twitter for a while, and it is our great pleasure to welcome Blake from Break F1. I swore I was going to say that the wrong way around, but uh, <laughs> welcome to the dirty <laughs> side of the track, Blake.
0: How's it going? It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time. No, thank you, guys.
1: So as we were kind of like looking in this and kind of pulling together the backstory of uh, of Blake, um, we just want to see if we've got this kind of synopsis right. So you're from Texas. You moved to the UK to pursue uh, your F1 dream, where eventually you made it into uh, Force India and then Red Bull and spent essentially, I think, 10 years, 10 years in F1, right? Yeah, that's about right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we... <laughs> And that's Nailed the end it. of the interview. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So, no, yeah, okay. Yeah, I I I I am that childish, I'm sorry. So, let's just wind that right back to the beginning. And how does a guy from Texas uh end up a uh, getting into F1 back then and B deciding he needs to move to the UK to go and pursue that dream?
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting because like the whole idea is like, well, I'd like to leave everything I know. I lived in Texas all my life until I was 25, 26, and then at that point I was like I need to move to the UK because I want to pursue motorsport engineering. I want to get a job in Formula One. That was that was the the end goal. And now looking back on that, Formula One is not the be-all, to the end-all. There's so many other amazing motorsport series out there. But uh, I was dead set on on Formula One. And it, it kind of like if I boil it back down to the essence or whatever, kick the whole thing off, it was my dad's buddy had a Spec MX-5 race car. And he's like, hey, I've graduated. I've got an, a new Mustang. I'm doing track days and races with this do you and your dad want to drive this MX-5? I was like, yeah, go on. Why not? <laughs> and so that was, that was kind of it, man. And it's like, as soon as I sniffed the... It was, it's like that. It's like, as soon as I sniffed the race fuel, smelled the tires, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in this. And it was like, okay, I enjoyed driving. I, you know, had some okay runs at a club level. Um, and then it was like, cool. I want to make this thing go faster. How does that work? That led into mechanical engineering because those are the most closely related that led into Formula SAE or Formula Student, as it's called in in Europe. Um, I started getting into Formula One. And I was like, "Hey, this stuff looks really cool. I think I could do that." And people were like, "You're crazy. That's the, you know, you, <laughs> like, there's no Formula One here." I asked some advice from, from some good friends, and they were like, "Yeah, you, why don't you just like?" I'd applied to NASCAR teams, IndyCar teams, and like, well, well, you need experience. I was like, "Well, how the heck am I going to get experience?"
0: It's the chicken it? and the egg. Yeah, if I, yeah. Where are I get so, it from?
2: So I I basically um I pulled together some cash and I was like, right, I'm gonna full send on going to the UK for a year to do a motorsport degree, a master's degree, and um see what happens. I finally somehow I stole some poor kids uh internship at Force India and they paid me <laughs> peanuts and you know, shortly thereafter they promoted me to a junior engineer. But um that's that's how it got started. So
1: well, sorry, how one, one second. How, how do you steal someone's internship? What did you? Well, that sounds very underhand the, there, Blake.
2: Yeah, it was. It was kind of nasty. No, uh, long story short, it was an internship was which, which was designed for second year students. And I, being a, a master's graduate student, I was like, "Listen, I don't care what it is. I just want my foot in the door. Give me, give me a shot." And they're like, "Okay, cool." The 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 paycheck sucks. I was like, "That's okay. I can borrow some more money." <laughs> And that was basically it so th- and then that kicked it off and then very shortly later i think the the, the weird part about the story is like about eight months into that job i was like i told my i saw the head of race engineering in the uh, canteen i was like hey man what do i need to do to be a race engineer or you know a performance engineer at the track and he was like ah uh, get in line i was like okay okay i <laughs> then two two months later uh one of the guys left on short notice and like hey uh about that test coming up next week uh you got a passport i was like oh yeah oh yeah i got a passport and that kicked off me you know traveling for six years um with first in force india at first and then to red bull for three years and that was you know that was like you know like that was like the super shortcut version of how to be performance engineered at f1 i was like <laughs> i just got here and i'm at the track now it's it's extremely atypical and it doesn't usually work like that i know guys have been waiting in line five six years to go to the track so small team right time right place.
1: Yeah, I was going to say you're literally right place right time. Um someone leaves yeah. and and you happen to be in the canteen getting a coffee and they went, "Yeah, send that guy on the plane."
0: Well, I mean the 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 ability, confidence and desire and what you did to get there to put yourself in the position to have that little bit of luck. I mean that alone speaks to, you know, everybody's desire to achieve anything. You have to really go for it and that's amazing. I mean the fact that cuz if you had not done all that, you wouldn't have had that luck. And so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's tremendous. It's, it's, it.
2: people say, I, I, I say I got lucky. People say you make your own luck, but, uh, I just happened to be the least worst person for the job at the time, <laughs>
3: <laughs> which and is funny when, it like that,
2: honestly, because it, it's when you get into that situation, imagine somebody throws you in a new job and you're not used to the environment. You're not used to the tools. You're not used to the people it's sink or swim. And, uh, that is the ultimate motivator. So what?
1: Uh, so what are you doing on day one when you rock up? You got your passport. You get on the plane. You go there. What is day one on the job for you at the track?
2: The day one of the job at the track is you know, figuring out the software systems that you're using, figuring out the language, getting to know the race engineer, which I'd worked with them a little bit in the simulator before, which was fine. So I, I you know, it wasn't like, hey, what's your name? But <laughs> day one on the job is like it was, uh, it was Magello tire test in 2012 it was the first time we've been to magella in a while and the goal was basically to set up day make sure everything's good um uh, the other guys you know showed me what to do and then most of it is literally make sure the car doesn't catch on fire it sounds stupid <laughs> it sounds crazy and you see i've never seen a car catch on fire but literally like performance engineer looks after brake temperature management um at that time it was curse management so managing the harvest maps managing the deployments. Um, fueling the car, telling the, the the fuel man how much fuel to put in the car for the run. So there was a lot of stuff going on. And it's like, that's a lot of responsibility. Don't put enough fuel in the car. The car stops. Put too much brake blanking on. The car catches on fire, which did actually <laughs> happen at one point. Uh, it's not my proudest moment. And it, that's kind of where the name brake kind of started as well. I got the name brake tape for a while because I ended up burning the rear axle off of a, one of the old Force Indias at a test a year later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It happens. Yeah, it happens to the best it's of good us, story. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, what happened? How much did that cost? Ah, uh, yeah, that was about three hundred grand. Oh, oh, <laughs> ouch! So, but, so then, but they paid me so much at that time that it didn't really hurt. Yeah, you just took it out yeah. of your paycheck, right? Yeah, yeah, that was only going to take me about fifty years to make that much money
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you've got nothing to lose. Um, exactly. So, so then, like, what? Help us understand the progression of your time at force india and then into red bull at the track it, it, was it uh, did you have kind of a similar role of let's make sure the temperatures the settings yeah. are correct let's not let the car catch fire um yeah. and were you track side during races uh yeah. and if so like were you on like the pit wall like as you see there or were you in the garage like what was your um, setup i'm, I'm so
2: at force india i was in the garage and we were back in the back we called them the racks because they were actually some like it racks with you know slide out keyboards and monitors and You had your laptop which docked in there but at red bull i was always in the garage so i'd look back like I'm, i'll go back and watch old races and i'll see myself standing in the garage talking to uh kiviat or verstappen at the time so i mean that was so i went from force india uh to red bull and i left there to be fettle's performance engineer you know he, he interviewed me him and rocky were in my interview the job. Oh. And then obviously, and then Seb Seb goes to Ferrari of the year and Kiffyat joins the team. But uh yeah, like a, a lot of that job is basically tools around the car, brake balance, differential, uh performance analysis, feedback. So when the car is running on track, you're making sure brakes are working well, everything's happy, fuel consumption, and then you're also doing a lot of performance analysis. So looking at the driver compared to himself, the driver compared to his teammate, and offering like immediate real-time feedback to the race engineer to say here's what i'm seeing here's what i'm thinking and he because the race engineer is on the pit wall and he's monitoring tire pressures he's looking at lap times he's looking at gaps to make sure the driver has clean air to do his practice runs or qualifying run a race so it's like this thing where the race engineer can do all that but he's not doing that so i'm you know in his ear every couple laps saying hey i've noticed this here's some suggestions for things that the driver has access to do or By the way, you're losing out to your teammate in turn 10 on the brakes or the exit. So you're always feeding them these loops of and then the race engineer kind of thinks about that and he's like, What's the most important thing to feed the driver at the time? And um it's a it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool loop because it's a back and forth and you'll challenge each other a little bit, but not too much. Because, you know, he's got to make sure he's aware of the strategy, he's aware of gaps. You know, if it's a qualifying lap and the driver's on a slow lap, he's like, Hey, you know, so and so's coming up behind you quick. And he, if you're busy telling him a message, it takes 20 minutes to tell him. He's going to be like, yeah, I missed that. <laughs> and uh, he's in the bin now. So, uh, oops. Yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of like trackside performance. That's kind of like what that job felt like.
1: So, so two kind of follow-on questions from that then. Well, one's probably more a statement of fact, which is then, so when we hear on TV, um, people saying um, the race radio, the, sorry, the in-car radio saying you're losing out to your teammate or to the leader on corners 5, 7, and 12, that's essentially you you're looking at that telemetry and basically looking at that and saying, this is where you're losing the time, right?
2: Yeah. So yeah, the performance engineer will often be feeding that info to the race engineer because the race engineer's primary capacities are, you know, a lot of other higher level stuff where the performance engineer is like in the bits and pieces and the details and saying, by the way, you know, you're you're losing out here. And the race engineer conveys that exactly that.
1: So are you involved? So, are you completely impartial to the strategy, strategy that's being deployed by the team and you're just there just to monitor t- telemetry and feed that back? Or are you looking at the telemetry with a... Have you all kind of had a big powwow at the beginning of the weekend, whether it's the setup, or practice, or quali? Do you have the strategy in mind so that you can look at the telemetry and make those um, observations? Or are you supposed to not have those observations and let other folk worry about that? You just no, report the stats. I think I think
2: for the most part, it's... The, the strategy, you know, you, you come, you go into the weekend with a plan, right? And you're like, this is our plan. We're, this weekend, let's say we're going to do a one stop. And so for the performance engineer, and the race engineer, you're thinking like, right, what do I what can I observe about the longevity of the tires? How are they behaving? Are they, you know, are they are we putting more energy in than we expected? Are we putting less uh fueling strategy? You know, it's like, right, well, if we're doing a one stop, that means we're probably going to save quite a bit of fuel because the, the pace is going to drop off massively on the stint. So you're like, okay, I, I can play with the fuel margins a little bit. So it, it's a f- back and forth. And every now and then, you know, the strategy should be like, you know, how are the tire energies? It's like, well, they're, you know, they're on target or they're above target. So, you know, maybe we might see some deck and that feed forward will get them thinking, okay, well, do we need to convert to a two now or not? Or do we need to convert to a two stop? So it's a back and forth. You try to usually stick to the plan, but yeah, it, it's, it's always like, you know, people think like that people think strategists know everything. But it's the system is so chaotic. It's a, you know, you observe data, you make predictions, and then you observe in real time what's happening and adapt to it as it comes. And then there's no, the, the plan goes out the window as soon as you leave the grid. You know? <laughs> so,
0: so I have to ask this question. And if you get mad at me, uh, no, just don't answer it. Mad. But the people you mention so far, Seb and Kvyat, um, there's a famous inter- interaction between them where Daniel kind of came in hot on a corner and Seb called him the torpedo. And mm, did you, it's a classic, did, that it is a classic. It's one of my favorites of all time. And the question for you, Blake is, were you on the, as a performance engineer, were you looking at that corner and did you order a torpedo to the race engineer? Nah,
2: I didn't say it. I didn't, I didn't say it. deploy a torpedo. Now, I did happen to suggest a brake balance map that pulled a whole lot of front out. So he just kind of, no, nah, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, Yeah, Yeah, that is one of my favorite cool down room moments classic
0: oh absolute classic i I have the soundboard. to be honest they
2: they actually need to bring the microphones back into cool down room because the last couple of races they've been cutting us out i'm like yes okay bleep the swearing out that's fine i don't mind but like i want to hear those exchanges what are they talking about like I know we've just watched these guys pound around for 70 laps, but uh, I'm a bit of a dork. I want to hear the I <laughs> do know,
0: I am as well. And when they brought it back, it was like a surprise. Like three or four races yeah. ago, all of a sudden you see the cool down room. I was like, cool down room's back. But you couldn't hear yeah. a thing and like a little bit yeah. of it. And now that they're showing on the, the TVs uh, more um, sort of highlights of the race, yeah. you have the drivers talking about it more. And so yeah, that's, I think that's cool. I You're do, like, hey, Look at that dummy. Look at what he did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yuki, okay, what are you
2: doing in the barrier? <laughs>
1: oh, rip. Oh, by the way, okay, then, so just something I never even thought of before, before talking to you is, so we hear team radio. We hear, um, let's say, Lewis say, my tires have gone, I've got no grip. Did the race engineer come back to you and say, is he talking BS? And then you look at the telemetry and go, yeah, there's nothing wrong. He's just making excuses. I mean, is there that back yeah, the you... other way where you're able to analyze if the what the driver is reporting is true?
2: I, I think for the most part, like, I don't think the drivers have much motivation to, to BS about it. I think for the most part, if the tires are actually dead, we've been looking at the balance metrics, which is like uh, you basically combine the steering and the yaw rate and the acceleration of the car. And you're like, okay, this signature looks like, yeah, that tire is the rear tires are going away or the front tires are, you know, falling off or we've got graining or something. You, you can usually see that. And by the time the driver's talking about it, and yeah, you're, you're kind of right there with him you're not like you're not ahead of him you're not predicting it but yeah and if he is if, if you know if i'm like dude what are you talking about i might say that with a race <laughs> engineer but he's not going to come on the radio and be like
0: uh, uh hey max you're lying <laughs> uh,
2: uh,
0: we know your radio's working you just don't want to talk to us um
2: yeah i'm pissed off that you dropped me behind lewis yeah exactly it's like, it's like uh, you should have pushed more man <laughs> that was good <laughs> that was, but like that's that's the, those are the good kind of in- exchanges like you know you have a temper and then you have a, a calm response and people get mad and like the drivers shouldn't be upset i'm like just let them drive the car like we actually thrive off that kind of drama so why don't we just enjoy it yeah he's he's swearing or he's upset it doesn't bother me let it happen this is cool. this is great this is great television
0: I mean, and their competitive juices are flowing. You're going 200 some odd miles an hour around corners, and 150 around tighter corners, and you you know your concrete walls coming at you, and you're fighting for position. I mean, these guys like, of course, there's going to be some f bombs coming out and some passion. I would hope. I hope so. I hope so. And if there's not any passion, then what's going on? What are you thinking about? Yeah, I don't know. Sunday drive. Yeah, seriously. Um. So then I have talking about Charles, by the way. Yeah, we won't, uh, that's, uh, I feel bad. Um, So the way that's gone down the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But so the question for you, another one, just as we're kind of getting a feel for your time in F1, then at the last, I think you said four, three, four years at Red Bull, you were the yep. uh, sim performance engineer. Yeah. And so what does that entail? Is that any, like how different is that compared to what you had been doing it's, before? It's quite a bit different. Whereas at the track, I was very
2: focused on single car on a weekend to weekend basis right so it's like right so we're going to an event i've got the pre-event simulations i go look at my notes from last year i'm looking at the sims from Arrow, from which rear wing we're going to put on the car from suspension uh, i'm building the, the maps for the performance maps for the car like the differential on the brakes looking at the fuel consumption numbers and that's like a rinse repeat every week and it's 20 21 22 23 races this year. And i was like right i don't love being at the track that much so but what I do love is data analysis and you know finding out how to make the car go faster. It's like, why don't I go back to the track? Or so I go, why don't I go back to the factory in a development role where I can look at, for example, in the simulator world, which is great thing, is before the new car comes out, you're getting aero maps from the wind tunnel, you're getting aeromaps from CFD, you've got new tire model stuff coming from Pirelli, you've got some test data, you've got a new suspension, a new car, and you're putting all that together in the virtual world, making sure that it makes sense, first of all which is very important to like check that these things make sense before you test them. And then you get a test driver and, or a race driver and you say, right, well, we know last year's car. We know that behaves well in the sim. We know that behaves close to reality. We have good correlation. Now let's start changing these bits and start developing next year's car. And that is like, that's the holy grail. And then taking all that it's like, right, well, we're at the track. We're turning lots of laps and generating infinite amounts of data, which is effectively untapped. Some of it is some of it's you know turned into information, but most of the data exists as data. So one of the other big things I was super excited about being back at the factory was spending lots of time developing tools and methods to boil data down into useful information to help make better decisions. And that that was that was what I that was what I was most passionate about. So yeah, in in the sim, I still would race engineer a car in the virtual world, make a test plan, Are we going to do talk to other people, collaborate, build a plan that was effective at understanding, you know, that thing we're testing and then, you know, running the session, talking to the driver, making sense of the feedback, validating that with the data, checking that it checks out, you know, flagging things that don't check out and then, you know, preparing a report that summarized all that for the other people to consume. So that was kind of like simulator life for me in two minutes.
0: Well, I mean, so it's obvious then the entire success of the Red Bull team over the last handful of years has been built through that work in the simulator. I mean, effectively, you should have a trophy at this point. Yes.
2: <laughs> I, I left in November before the final race. And so and a lot of people didn't like that race. And I don't I don't blame them. But uh...
1: <laughs> so did you work a lot in the simulator and obviously on the brand new car and the new regs?
2: Yeah, I did quite a I did quite a bit of that, but it was you know it was also at that time it was also relatively early stages of the new regs. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that you see now is completely foreign to me, and all the stuff that we were dealing with when I was still there in September, October, November um, was still very hypothetical stuff. But yeah, you know, it's probably not that, too far.
1: Yeah, sorry, yeah. as you say, hypothetical that it didn't predict the porpoising then in the simulator.
2: <laughs> no, I I don't I don't remember that being a factor at all, but clearly you know this is this is a thing that like ground effect cars are notorious for having is you know this oscillatory um cyclic aerodynamic attachment reattachment and balance shifting and some of the teams went very hard down a certain path and um uh, that path was met by one big giant porpoise
0: <laughs> oh man So I guess I I, I'd ask you know that's of all those years in Formula One from Force India to Red Bull and from your different roles what are a couple things that really stand out to you you know something a high and a low or something that you look back fondly on or embarrassingly on that you might want to share but just out of curiosity what are some of your favorite memories
2: I think that's that's the trifecta there you've got the high the low and the embarrassing yeah and I
0: think I live my life amongst all those daily so
2: I. And I have no problem owning up to the embarrassing as well. So we've already told one embarrassing story about setting the car on fire and testing, which (laughs) I debate was not entirely my fault. And other people were warned, and they disregarded my advice as a performance engineer. (laughs) They made the decision, said I wouldn't stop that car on the grid because those brakes, there's something wrong with them. I would do a cool down lap. Well, we stopped for a practice start, and the whole thing caught on fire. (laughs) Nobody, no, it was fine. It was fine. Um, my first, my first race was. Spain 2012 so that was that was when uh Maldonado won that race and the Williams Garage caught on fire because an Ers pack uh went yeah went bottom up yeah so that that was a very very weird weekend first of all uh but during qualifying before qualifying I'd had a lot of a very nice electrolyte drink because it was warm and uh <laughs> oh boy I was there, sorry this, this was Sunday this is Sunday before the race Um, sorry, it wasn't qualifying. In qualifying, I messed up the fuel in the car, which is pretty important. Uh, (laughs) My race engineer, GP saved my butt then. And then Sunday, I had a lot of this really nice electrolyte drink. And I was like, I looked to my buddy, David, and I was like, David, I've got to leave my desk, I need to go to the bathroom, or I'm gonna have to go to the hospital. And he's like, you can't leave during the race. I'm like, just cover for me. And I, you know, I ran out the back and go to the bathroom. And like, I'm monitoring the race fuel lap by lap. I was gone for, you know, half a lap, but still I was like, you know, if the race did you to come on the intercoms, like, Hey, did you see this? But if that was my first race. I was useless anyway. So I was like, I, I got to go for a bathroom break or otherwise I'm going to hurt myself. That was, the, that was pretty embarrassing.
0: A lot of dead like, air. If they start asking for you while you're out I was back, like, uh, I was like David cover for me. It's yeah. like, ah, uh, yeah, he's got an intercom issue.
2: Sure. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of like a, that was a pretty embarrassing thing. And, other than that, it was like, you know, getting a couple of couple races in and realizing I was the only one like really, really hung over on Friday morning. I was like, you guys aren't, we're not living the good life here. And they're like, yeah, we are. We're just, we can hold our, our alcohol. I was like, no. <laughs> uh, wacky stuff was like uh, Force India being invited onto Vijay's yacht. You know, you're thinking this is Formula One. You're in Monaco and vj has got his super yacht out there. The Indian princess, it was called. And he's having these huge parties. And because Monaco, there's no session on Friday. So Thursday night, after you finish free practice one and free practice two, you go back to your hotel. You get cleaned up and then you go get smashed up on VJ's boat. <laughs> well, that was that was that was like that was just funny and weird. It's like, what are all these rich people doing? I'm, I'm pretty sure this isn't your money. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Bad things might happen to you in the future. But, yeah. Oh, who's this buddy? Who's your, who's your friend Sahara? Oh yeah. He's in jail now. Where's <laughs> that money gone. So that was like, Whoa, I guess the, the, like the actual high was like, the first race when I had in formula one was for in Barcelona when he joined the team, you know, it was his first weekend. So, you know, uh, there was China, uh, Kvyat's on the podium. Then there was Russia He's got a, he has a crap race. He smashes into Seb. All that happens, and they decide, right, we're gonna swap you guys. And I show up to the office, and uh, Rocky's like, so uh, Max will be here on tomorrow for the simulator session. Uh, he's driving your car for the rest of the season. We're like, okay. Whoa, it was like that. It was like overnight. The, the bosses made the decision. That's fine. That's there's nothing contentious about. It. Like that's what happened. And then uh, and then he rocks up the race, and uh, um, he wins the damn thing. <laughs> We're like, right. I mean, clearly that Mercedes taking each other out was uh, pretty spectacular, but you know what? You're going to be the least worst on the day and uh, take home some points and maybe a trophy. So that was, that was cool. That was my first race win in the sport. Uh, The closest we had seen before that was uh, Perez in Bahrain. That was, that was, that was pretty special.
1: What was uh, Max like then in those early days? Was the kind of like this obvious natural raw talent, or did you take a while to? I mean, obviously he won that first race, but what's he kind of like, and how much are you? I always get this impression, and I've probably got this wrong, that you've got the no. guys in the garage that are kind of all they are all kind of having a bit of a laugh and a joke, and then there's you engineers and the people that sit on the pit wall. You're you're kind of higher level, right? You're kind of uh, you're the intellectuals, and you don't get drawn down I'm, into the I'm childish the joker, man. stuff. But yeah, okay. I'm the joker. <laughs> so t- tell us about a bit about that.
2: Yeah, the, like the hierarchies, like the, the mechanics, the lads, the, the guys, you know, there's those dudes, but like those guys are, those guys are machines, man. They're, they're absolutely insanely professional. Everything they do is to the highest degree. Um, You know, the, the pit wall, the you know, your strategist, your race engineer, your team manager. Of course, you guys are setting a, a precedent for the other guys. You know, they're not, they're not cutting up as much, but we have a laugh. Um, And then the driver, like Max was just this new, kid you know he was super young and right away he was pretty quick i think dan daniel spanked him pretty good in qualifying and he was like yeah we'll figure it out later but then after that he starts showing up to practice sessions in p1 and he's going out at 99 immediately p1 no building up to it nothing you know not like no wasting time you know finding he smashed up a couple front wings and floors early on in sessions but He got to the limit super fast and everybody noticed that very quickly. And it was, it was spectacular, honestly.
1: And that's something you can see, I guess, then from the telemetry, then you, you know, the difference between a drive that takes a while to get up to the limit. So so 99% then how do you, how do you know it's 99% stupid question? I mean, but it's, it's like, it's
2: like 99% of whatever they did. And for sure, like, it was clear that Daniel was easing into the weekend and all the other drivers i had seen before just kind of eased the weekend by the time you roll out and qualifying, you know. You're chipping away, and you're probably no more than a tenth off your perfect sectors. You know, you you put that lap together in qualifying, but this dude was just like, oh, "I'm gonna find the limit in P1. I'll tell you what the problem is, and we'll get around it." And he wow. ended up being very quick, very quickly. If that makes sense. And it does. I think the rest, the rest is history, and, and you see it. I and I think you you have guys like that. You've got your Fernandos, you've got your Lewises, you've got your Maxes, and those guys are something else and you know a lot of them, what sets them apart is being able to deal with very adverse conditions like i remember max's drive in brazil in the wet he's driving around Rossburg around turn was it three four and on the outside in the wet. you're like this guy's on something else and, and he was and the car was good as well it's the right car uh, the right characteristics that suit the driver and as engineers we often struggle to put a finger on that what they like we can guess what it is and we can be like well we'll change this and They don't like that. So I think that's what it is. But actually boiling it down and putting a number on or a metric on a characteristic that a driver likes is actually pretty difficult. Take, for example, drivers that struggle to their teammate. How do you describe that and then come up with fixes to fix that?
1: One of the things you always hear. Yeah, one of the things you always hear about Schumacher and I think probably Alonso and and others is that. They're able to articulate what's not right with the car in the in the right language that you guys can act on. So they don't just say, "Oh, I'm struggling for speed." Oh, great, that that really helps. But they were able, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, um, any drivers that you work with like that that are kind of tuned into being able to tell you exactly what it is, or have you always had to do that kind of like trial and error approach to try to work out what the hell they're talking about? Not,
2: Not really. I think for the most part, a lot of them were very good. Like all the guys I work with were very good. Some of them. You know the, the best like, i'll put it this way rather than talk about anyone in particular the best drivers are the ones that can tell you what they think is causing them to go slowly rather than telling you about all the problems they have mm. that makes sense you know because like imagine you look it's like well the car doesn't feel right in turn nine uh, a little bit of understeer in turn ten it's like no no stop what is the what is the the what is the alligator closest to the boat that we need to knock on the head oh it's it's traction it's like well you haven't even mentioned that yet cool <laughs> So so the drivers that are able to get to the point and tell you exactly what is causing them the most problem to go faster and that they can identify that instead of saying, well, all this stuff felt bad and this felt good it doesn't do anything. But like when you pinpoint that stuff, those drivers, you know, and then you then as an engineer, you look at your toolbox of things you have and it's like, well, OK, I can change that. But that hurts this. Ah, I've got this thing that fixes that and doesn't hurt anything else that much. You want to try that? Yeah, we tried that in the sim and that's that should make sense so you, you you build up a you build up this database of like what you tried in the sim and okay this fixed this but made this worse then you go to the track and you apply that and often it hits sometimes it doesn't but that's that's the reality of simulation tools
0: it's interesting it's sort of like a a days of thunder like cold trickle effect right he couldn't speak yeah. the language with his uh His pit boss, but uh, once he could, he could unlock a lot of it. Actually, you know, one thing we do here on the dirty side is occasionally we will go highlight former, you know, old drivers and a couple of them over the past. um, We're only about six in so far, but a couple of them come to mind, especially back in the day who grew up as mechanics. And the ability as a mechanic to really understand a lot of these things like the Fangio's and the people who knew how to tweak the car like Lauda um, and some of the background that they brought is just, it's interesting because you could almost see the success they had um, growing from their understanding of the car. So it's fascinating. Yeah,
2: There's there's two sides to that coin as well, because you don't want a driver who's slow and trying to race engineer the car themselves. Because if you have a driver that's slow and trying to race engineer the car himself. It's it's the, you know, it's the chicken and the egg thing again. But it's like, if you have a driver that has good technical understanding and he knows what those things are doing and why they're doing that, and then he trusts you to pick the tools out of the box based on what he's told you to do, you end up getting in a very good, like a good rapport with like, right, I know my race engineer changes the right things and you trust him for the most part. But yeah, the guys that have that technical understanding and the the feel for it, it, we're probably not going to have too many of those anymore. Yeah. Oh, but you might you might yeah you know, like a lot of these guys coming through carding and all the series but yeah that's the it's the same goes for designers the you know the the super mega mind designers that you know revolutionize the designer concept it's getting everything's getting broken down into smaller and smaller and everybody's getting super hyper focused you got a guy that just does this bit a guy that does this bit and there's not like that one dude again like your adrians and your uh ross bronze i right. think we're i think we're seeing the last of those guys honestly a little bit of a, a little bit of a different direction but yeah speaking <laughs> of drivers but even engineers we're seeing the last of those you know the those soul dudes that made a huge impact on a team a design a concept or a car well,
0: what was the stat rob we talked about this I like, can't. was it was it adrian's 10th car to win at monaco this year was that
1: yeah yeah it's his 10th 10th car designed by him to win at monaco which is insane where you think that a he's designed that many different cars and uh yeah. and they've all been able to pull it out of the fire at monaco which is which is pretty cool just when you were just talking about kind of so the race engineer piece and kind of the feedback and getting the car set up for the weekend. Once you're locked and loaded and you're in Park Ferme and you're sitting in there like Neo in front of the Matrix, looking at all this data coming through on yeah. your telemetry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For the for the benefit of uh, the audio here, we have some Neo action going on from Blake there. Um, but um, what's the most that you can change? So you're seeing something, something's going wrong. What have you got in your toolbox that you can fix? Because we tend to hear on commentary, brake balance. That's And that's all we yep. kind of hear. But there must be more to it than that. What, if, what are you able to give the drivers to make a difference on race day?
2: So on race day, for the most part, you've got a couple of things. Tire pressures these days are so prescribed into a window. You don't have a whole lot of flexibility on them. You're probably going to try to start them as low as possible. And whatever you get to is whatever you get to. You might balance them out. So during the stint, they're you know, the car is balanced. Uh, You've got flap angle on the front wing. That is one of your adjustment tools. You see, you can, you can pick that. You can change that through qualifying. You can change that for the start of the race relative to qualifying. And you can change that in pit stops. That's often changed in pit stops. We don't see it, but there's often somebody down there with a little gun changing the front wing angle. And there's little tiny little screws. Uh, Brake balance is a huge thing. And it's not just like a, like you look at a race car and you think it's like an offset, just shifting the balance forwards and backwards. It's, you know, how much brake balance do you have? You know, how much of the front brakes you're using initially when you push the brakes, how much of the front brakes you're using as just as you're bleeding off the brakes, that has a huge impact on the car balance in turning. So people think of brake balance as like stopping the car. Brake balance is stopping the car and turning the car. You know, because basically if you if you're using a whole load of rear brakes, you're actually removing how much lateral potential that tire has to so you helping the car rotate at the detriment of your tires, because you're basically doing more work to rotate the car. Uh, you've also got the differential which is pretty powerful. they don't they don't seem to talk about it too much but it's definitely something that they're using a lot. The differential in the Formula 1 car is hydraulically controlled with electronic maps to do all sorts of different things. That those those were those were my bread and butter basically those two systems was the brake balance and the differential as a performance engineer. Those were yeah because you can change those through qualifying, you can change those through the race and you need to make sure that you have the right scope and balance in those maps to accommodate a qualifying run at one limit and a race run when your tires are running out at the other limit
1: and i might have completely made this up so uh, i don't mind looking stupid but <laughs> haven't you also got these these brake maps is it right that depending on the amount of force that the driver's putting through the brake pedal that we will actually change how much brake balance if i'm lightly braking yep. it might send more to the back or whatever if i need to completely... absolutely wow okay so how does that so how many of these maps are there and how does this driver understand? what he needs to do <laughs> you you kind of come up with a
2: system like so that, that there's I'm going to don't don't let me go down the rabbit hole in on this one basically there's five <laughs> there's five shape maps this so that that thing that you described of like if you're pushing a little bit it's this much brake balance to the front or rear and if you're pushing super hard so what that is effectively trying to do is target one the ideal brake balance because when you brake super hard you've got a lot of load on the front axle so the front brakes can do a lot of work and as you bleed off the brakes in a formula 1 cars you're losing downforce you shift that balance rearwards as you're bleeding off the brakes. Now, how much rearwards you shift it depends or how, how rearwards you shift the brakes determines the balance of the car as you turn the car in. So yeah, you've got five of those maps. You can offset those maps uh, as f- far forwards or rearwards as you'd like and any combination of, you know, there's, you remember brake magic from Baku? Yeah, of course, uh, Lewis. That was, a, that was a toggle button which applied a huge brake balance offset on one of those maps so it not only had a forward map it didn't have much migration as you bleed off the brakes but it's also very forward in order to heat up the front brakes and tires and not put too much heat into the rear tires for race restarts that accidentally got toggled on and that that was brake magic so you can you can push a button which changes that you can change a rotary or you can use the buttons up and down to move it so it's
0: it's nuts well (laughs) there's a lot going on I would I would just tell you, Blake, as someone we've just met, and Rob, someone I've known, I actually have a, a brake map for my wife's car. Uh, it's binary; it's always on or always off, and there's no in between. And whenever she drives, whenever you get near a stop sign, it is you just if you're in the front, you will be eating the, the dashboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like there's no in between. Uh, yeah,
2: I think Williams ran one of those recently. Recently, in the rear brakes caught on fire. The
0: brakes caught on fire a don't lot on me. the Williams recently uh, this don't, year. Don't quote yeah. me. Speaking, well, speaking of you know this year actually and what you're seeing i'd be curious your thoughts on the 2022 season so far things that maybe have surprised you um things that have confused you i mean you obviously have a keener eye than than the rest of us so as you watch like so far what has been uh, outstanding uh, to blake well i will say this there's
2: a lot of you know, casual observers that pick up on stuff that I don't like, I'm not tuned in to look at and they'll say something. I'm like, wait, really? I don't know that. Like a lot of this stuff, I don't remember or notice at all. So it's actually super cool to hear you guys thoughts. But, but I guess the, the first part is two things. 2022 is a regulation as a whole. One, I think they've done a good job and they've also done some bad things as well, but the good job they've done is the cars can follow more closely but one thing I talked about in one of my videos recently was nobody's really talking too much about the Pirellis. I mean, these things you saw if you watch the Grand, the Canadian Grand Prix, when we had stints where uh, the Claire on Ocon for 15 laps, Stop. unable to overtake him. Fine, but you know he's 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 up his rear that long. We haven't seen that in a while. Usually it's like, oh, yeah, you get you get five laps to maybe attack him, and your tires are dead. No, we're not seeing that. Signs on Max on the final. 13 laps yeah both using all the track flat out i think it's phenomenal now the bad sound, the downside of this is we've got new regulations and some people get it right and mercedes have really struggled and it sucks because you know they're, they're they are one of the most competent capable teams they've just been caught out by something and they get a lot of like it's super divisive the press on twitter and everything else but let's let's be honest Lewis is, Lewis is spectacular. George is very impressive. I'm not gonna say I'm surprised that he's that good, but it's it's just it's I think it's just off-putting seeing Lewis, you know, trying to find the figure this car out and you know, looking not particularly excellent all the time, but come on, he's not a joker. But yeah. uh, the the shakeup, the shakeup of the grid has been an unfortunate side effect of new regs.
1: Yeah, I mean, me and Brian have discussed this on previous episodes, which is that like last year, when we were looking forward to the new regs, we just wanted, we it would be great to not have Mercedes dominance. It'd be great to have more cars competing for wins. And we've kind of got the Mercedes have dropped off from the dominance point of view, but we're kind of really only looking at Red Bull and Ferrari, and then everyone else is fighting for best of the rest. <laughs> uh, where do you see... Oh, and maybe if you've got any insight into this, but there's kind of reports that Red Bull have already maybe used a lot of their development budget. So they're making hay while the sun shines and other cars. We might well see that gap close as things go on. Is that is that I, hope um, so. is, I was going to say, is that ridiculous optimism? Or do you think that Red Bull have it's theirs to lose now and, and Max is going to drive off into the sunset?
2: Looking like analytically, looking at where the other teams are in terms of pace. They're going to have, like, let's let's put it this in qualifying outright. Mercedes is roughly 1% off. That's a huge gap. It's monstrous. You know, like, I think the car probably has the potential and they've pinned themselves in a corner with their suspension design, not letting them get the most out of the car, but also the window that they developed the car for. they can't run it there. So how fast will it be once they get around this? I don't know. Uh, McLaren next best up. I just don't see it happening. Like I, I want to be optimistic. I want to see three, four, five teams fighting for the, but they're not consistent enough and not quick enough. And the McLaren, you know, they they keep coming together with decent results, but if you look at the amount of points they've scored, it's it's not looking great. Um, Daniel having a tough time. Lando seeming to be more comfortable, but the car's not quick, and they've got to figure it out. They've got a lot of really intelligent bright people that need to go figure out the dark arts of race car and find 1.4 <laughs> percent of lap time which is huge 1.4 percent is massive yeah so we've we've got we've now we've got red bull ferrari mercedes cementing themselves you know coming back in no man's land and then there's best of the rest and then there's the sheds at the back Is 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 how it is so will will it converge by the end of the season i actually honestly don't think so just looking at like how much how much time and money, and considering that they're operating a race car flat out under budget restrictions, like will will Red Bull will Red Bull run out of let's say will they run out of development maybe? But does that mean that Ferrari is going to run out of development maybe? Does that does, if they stand still is Mercedes going to catch up? I mean it's possible, but you know is, is McLaren or is uh, Alpine going to to come up hunting for them this season now? No, so I, I'll be I'd love to be surprised honestly
0: but I just don't see it. We have um uh, we've somehow gotten into a debate about Haas frequently. Um and we were both actually I should give Rob credit. He was more optimistic than I coming into this year. He he thought they'd have <laughs> points, uh, and more than zero, as they had last year, but actual points, and they did, and they've had some yeah. competitive races, K KMAG um, has has looked good at times, um, and obviously Mick is, is on the bad luck train, now that he finally had an opportunity, but yeah. the question I'd have is, I, I've, I got on board early with the excitement around Haas, and I was excited for the car that they developed for 307 years in a row, uh, to the yeah. detriment of all other teams and cars along the way, and... Yeah. Now I'm worried that we have seen a bunch of DNFs. We've seen a sort of lack of regular and routine pace out of the car at, eight, at each track. And I, again, I know they had a great quality five and six in in Canada. That was spectacular. But that it was, was in the was rain. It was a rain quality. The equalizer. I love it too. And I, we, I, from now on, I want a rain quality and dry race, but that's a different story. So Sign me up. Yes, so, I you know, the, the question I'd ask is: Do you think Haas has better days in front of them, or is it going to be tougher days in front of them? Meaning, do we anticipate them keeping up in the development war with the lower midfield, or should we see them slide back towards Williams and you know even maybe behind Aston Martin here uh, as things go?
2: I'm not. I'm not really sure that anybody at the back has made a whole lot of progress. I haven't really looked at the their you know qualifying and pace race pace is so hard to actually boil down to a number but qualifying pace they're they're just inconsistent i think you you said it that you know they're just inconsistent and i don't know if that's struggling to get on with the tires if they have issues with brakes which i know some teams in the past have had you know issues getting brakes to work properly often which you don't hear people talking about it but it's actually a thing um which yeah i the teams i've worked with didn't have those problems but i know that other teams do have those problems um i think it's just inconsistency struggling to understand the tires is what it looks like maybe there's different tracks and different characteristics when they need to run a bit stiffer and lower or whatever that just doesn't work out for them um kevin looking pretty good mick fairly inconsistent i think i I don't really know what to think about it the ferrari also the ferrari power unit also letting them down a couple of times (laughs) which is which is sad to see because this was ferrari's championship it's ferrari's championship
1: And And that feels like they're just letting it go through just either, like you say, power units letting go. And then when the power unit doesn't let go, just strategy. I mean, again, from the outside looking in, everyone on Twitter, it's very, very toxic saying, oh, they're all idiots running strategy at Ferrari. Well, surely they can't be, right? But but it does look like from the outside. Yeah, I mean, it looks like from the outside looking in that they're making some real stupid calls on strategy, but it's easy to be the armchair pundit, right?
2: Yeah, it is. I, I think Monaco was pretty bad, honestly. I, I get what they were doing, but it was so risky. Monaco, the rules of Monaco are uh, track position is everything, and if it's wet, be on the right tires at the right time, and with Leclerc, they ignored both of those rules. And maybe, maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe Carlos had them over by saying, no, I'm going to stay out, but he wasn't looking too stupid, honestly. It was just the fact that when the Red Bulls got on those intermediates, they were rocket ships on those things, yeah. and they got rearranged, and there they were. Uh yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think honestly, the Ferrari power unit is pretty disappointing for everybody. Not, you know, I'm not, I'm not. That's not me taking a dig at Ferrari fans either, because I think they've got the fastest car this season. Leclerc has been flawless in qualifying. He's been amazing. absolutely flawless, and uh, Max has made quite a few mistakes. Some of them quite obvious mistakes, especially earlier in the season, like they cost tenths of a second. So. I think I think Haas are just kind of drinking some of that bad Ferrari, and then they they've got their own problems as well with inconsistency and pace as well when the car is working. So,
0: yeah. well, I appreciate that very much, and that the view, and I know Rob does does too. But I guess I'm curious now. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Blake. I mean, you're a content creator. I follow you on Twitter. It's a fantastic follow at Break. There are three hours. B R. R-R-A-K-E, you gotta follow them. Um, but tell us a little bit about sort of your transition to to what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, so my transition to actually doing motorsport content was much weirder than motorsport content. So I've been a gamer forever. Um, COVID hits, I start playing Call of Duty Warzone online with all my buddies. I start uploading terrible, terrible Instagram <laughs> clips, but you gotta start somewhere. And I kind of use gaming content creation to cut my teeth and figure out the mechanics of Making content, social media, editing. And that was great. And I was like, I, I knew I was at the end of my Formula One career, I wanted to take a break at least and do some try something different. I've done it for 10 years. I feel like 10 years is a good amount of time to do something. I was like, right, I'll, I'll mix it up. I'll try something else. Um, and then I was like, okay, I've got to do Formula One content. Like, there's no, there's, there's, there's good uh journalists, there's good, you know, like enthusiast experts, but there's not very many experts. On YouTube and doing social media around Formula One, I was like, "Right, I'm gonna do it." So, so, so I, that's that's been my full sin for the last, realistically, since probably the start of the year. But uh, I've started attacking TikTok. So, break F1 B R R R A K E F1 on TikTok, and the same on YouTube. And and those have been I've just been putting all my time and effort into those. Live streaming on Twitch at Break, not Break F1, just Break. Um, doing analytical content and just. Like, like, kind of like you guys are doing with the podcast, just like building a community with with an open mind. None of the toxic space like Twitter can be, where it's just people shouting into the void. It's like, no, come here and have a conversation. If you don't like somebody or something, like, uh, like the the, uh, the the data doesn't really care about people's opinions, basically. <laughs> and if and if we can't use data to if we can't use data to answer that question, we leave it up for debate and establish that it's opinion, and nobody can be. Nobody can have a more correct opinion than someone else if the data isn't there to back it up, and that's that's kind of how I've taken approach. and it. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of work, but you know, my passion has always been for a very long time Formula One in motorsports and analysis. And you know, I write a bunch of code. I'm editing a lot of videos all the time to do you know writing code to do analysis, and that has been me for the past six months now. And uh, I feel like it's just getting started, and I'm having a lot of fun sharing you know and and stuff like with you rob and brian like sharing these conversations with other people that are enthusiastic about it because i think there's a really interesting negative narrative about new fans which is you know oh you watch drive to survive you're not a real fan it's like who cares who cares it's like you and i if you're new or if you're a veteran of the sport or whatever else we like the same things and we have something in common if you're new to the sport don't gatekeep people that's weird that's so weird like share the love with people man yeah like if if somebody who's been watching formula one for 20 years listens to this episode and they're like that was cool and if there's somebody that's you know doesn't even know what formula is and listens to this episode and us talking about this and like how excited all of us are about this thing i think that's something we're sharing
1: well if a whole bunch of people leave the u.s to go over to the uk to take up um, uh, formula one engineering then you know we could uh, have a new influx of a new crop of uh, engineers coming your way
2: (laughs) yeah exactly i honestly i spent i i probably answer it's got to be 10 emails a week on how do i get a job in formula one like that's 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 my that's my side hustle don't make any money off that but i i didn't have anybody like that when i moved over here you know
1: no much much respect for you for for doing that i mean um you and I have uh, gone opposite ways over the yeah. over the pond, but I came here knowing a hell of a lot more about what I was gonna be landing in when I got here. It sounds like you just took a punt on your future, backed yourself and 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 all credit for you on that one. So um you've just like well it doesn't, but you like you say, you can make your own luck. Now, in terms mm-hmm. of kind of realizing your potential and making it uh, to the top of the sport, then there's only really one thing left for you to do, which is to take part in our 100 seconds of drs rapid fire quiz i mean that's really going to make your year Uh, this is the
2: pinnacle this is the (laughs) pinnacle
1: this is it so what Uh, what what happens if i fail Uh, it's it's kind of really impossible to fail but um uh yeah it's impossible it's literally just successfully um... incoming So Brian's going to run a 100 second counter for us. It's literally a bunch of some F1 questions, some not. They're all kind of very simple. You, you'll get the hang of it. And there are no wrong answers. Okay. So, uh, Good. And there, and also, just to be to- totally clear as well, there is no prize as well. You can't win anything here. Okay, right?
2: fine, fine. So I'm not going to. You should have told me that afterwards because like I was a bit motivated to win like $100 or something
0: hundred dollars what are we made of money over here
1: yeah I mean you, can, not, be, you sure. can you can definitely win the title of best person called Blake to ever play 100 seconds of DRX.
2: sign me up sign me up
1: <laughs> okay are you uh, ready to run a timer for us Brian
0: I am prepared and ready and willing whenever you guys start Blake are you ready for this
2: I'm I'm thrilled I'm I'm so energized right now
0: all right I'm gonna count you guys in here we I, go. Actually am. three two one, begin, Rob.
1: Favourite Formula One track? Uh, Sparfucker First poster you had on your bedroom wall?
2: Didn't have any posters on my wall.
1: Well, maybe there is a wrong answer.
2: Yeah. Uh, Ferrari uh, it... or Ford? Ferrari.
1: Mario or Luigi? Luigi. Mm-hmm. If you were a member of the pit crew, which tyre would you change?
2: Uh, front left.
1: It's ho- a hot dog a sandwich? Absolutely. Favourite livery on an F1 car of all time?
2: The new, the new Ferrari is so good. The new yeah. Ferrari is so good.
1: If you could add a James Bond type of gadget to an F1 car, what would it be?
2: Um, grease gun. <laughs> Coffee <laughs> or tea? Coffee.
1: Favourite non-motorsport sport? Cycling. Favourite F1 driver of all time? Schumacher. If you could put two drivers from different eras head to head, which ones would you pick to race against each other? Hmm. Banjo and Lewis. Oh, wow. That would be great. Would you rather be chased by one horse-sized duck or ten duck-sized horses? Ten duck-sized horses. <laughs> Wet or dry race? <laughs> Wet. Uh, Batman or Superman? Batman. I've got to ask this one for Brian. Tyres, interesting or not interesting?
2: Very interesting. Yes. Very Mysterious. <laughs> yes! Very mysterious.
0: I'm a tyre guy.
1: What, what's your favourite t- cheese?
2: Uh, Greer. Best racing movie of all time. Uh what's the one with louder Rush. Oh, what's the one? Rush. Rush yeah, it's pretty good. I don't. Well, I don't watch that many.
0: And I we are at. Watched, we are at time. Them. You aced oh. it, Blake. You aced it for sure. I love the. I, I loved your answers, but I just got to know. Hot dog is a sandwich. We've had this debate both ways. Why do you mm. say hot dog is a sandwich?
2: It's. It's a piece of meat in between two pieces of bread despite the bread being a continuous piece it's <laughs> I mean, it's it's a burrito's a sandwich a so hot dog's a sandwich it's just not a complete
0: you know yeah we have I, this debate as well i mean uh, you ever get like a hoagie roll and it's they slice mm. it and it's still connected in the back isn't that the same kind yeah. of theory i think so i think so does anybody not believe that yes we've had a handful of listeners and i get their point as well because i get i'm not gonna argue with them, yeah. but it's
2: like there's no Unless there's a mathematical proof to solve this so some, you know, some evidence based in science, I'm not going to I'm not going to get mad about anybody's opinion, even though they're wrong. We
0: yeah. agree. they're wrong. Agreed. Well, I, at the one that it gets me going and Rob didn't get a chance to ask it is GIF or GIF? GIF. So, GIF, you said with a hard G? GIF, GIF, GIF. Yeah, that's what I say. It's totally GIF. I mean, it's yes, graphics interchange format or whatever the hell I forgot already it's called. But yes, GIF, thank you. Uh, That one gets me riled up, (laughs) because even though the guy once said it was GIF, he was drunk, so, (laughs) you know. What does he know? Yeah, he just made it. Um, All right. Yeah, Rob.
1: No, I think, unfortunately, we have to uh, bring a close to uh, this. It's been, uh, it's it's actually obvious as well that you could talk for hours on this, and I think that probably you and Brian at some point need to meet up and talk about tires in a dark room. Um, uh... I'm
2: allergic to tires, honestly. As dark and mysterious as they are, I'm actually allergic to them.
0: <laughs> he's just passing stuff. on the invitation is what it is. He heard about yeah. some dark room with me and he's like, No, nah, yeah, I don't like tires right. anymore.
1: <laughs> anyway, try to try to wrap this up, Brian. Come on, stay with me. Yeah, you. yeah, sorry, sorry. So um thank you ever so much for uh, making time to do this, Blake. Really, really appreciate kind of having someone uh, Rob, that's been out you. there on the pit wall or you know, at the races giving their, their view. It's uh it's been great.
0: Yeah, I'd echo that, Blake. Thank you so much. And you, you you kind of described how to follow you. I mentioned your Twitter account. Definitely a great follow. Everyone should do that. I do it. It's its amazing.
1: So thank you again for your time.
2: Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon, all right?
1: Well, I hope we do speak to you soon, Blake, because that was absolutely awesome. Um, I did feel like I was maybe a bit of a gooseberry there with the kind of the two nerds uh, going over statistics. But, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. We've got to give Brian some loving sometimes. So... Uh, <laughs> Although it was quite funny when Blake swerved the invitation to go and uh, get locked in a dark room and talk tires with you. That, that was awkward. That was, that was actually um, Lando and Danny awkward, if I'm honest. Well, but, but um, we
0: also did hold the torpedo sound, which I, didn't, I don't
1: usually do sounds during proper interviews, so we'll get this in. You're looking like a torpedo. <laughs> oh, by the way, just before we move on to the next piece, what's it with calling a channel today all the time? Uh, I don't know. We're not? <laughs> Tell me we aren't, and then I'll stop. normally referred to it as the pod, but now it's a channel. But, you know, whatever. We can yeah. roll with it. All right. Um, <laughs> right, so um, this week we have uh, a double DRS detection zone. So we've already had uh, Blake take part in DRS, which was cool to have him run through that. But we also have uh, another listener as well. So... We spoke to, um, actually I'm not going to give it away, let's hand over, or I'm going to hand over back to myself, uh, and listen in on the second DRS of the week. Okay, we've had the Hills, we've had the Villeneuve, we've had the Verstappens, and now to add to the list of famous father-son combinations in the world of Formula 1, we are excited to welcome... Nimrod Abramovich, uh, the son of Azriel, who we did 100 seconds of DRS on uh, previously. So, welcome, Nimrod. Hello, thanks for having me.
0: It's nice to meet you. Welcome to, uh, to the dirty side. So, you know, we got a chance to talk a little bit with your dad and understand some of his F1 passion over the years that came and went. Um, I'd love to know how did you get into F1 and where did you find kind of that excitement and enthusiasm for it?
3: I started watching F1 back in. 2014, uh, the Rosberg Hamilton crash in Spa, where Rosberg basically admitted to hitting Hamilton kind of, kind of started something where I thought, hold on, this is interesting. And then I proceeded to watch the next race in Monza and basically watched the Hamilton masterclass as he worked his way back up from like sixth and forced Nico Rosberg into a mistake. And from there on, I was hooked. I'm not sure what about it was, but I always liked cars in general and I'm a very competitive person. I love go-karting. So it made sense, and since uh, been loving it.
0: Oh, it's amazing! So you like karting? Um, that's fascinating because I, I have a theory, and I'd like I like your perspective on it. And since I am the benefit of seeing you, um, which the listeners cannot, you are a fit person. I am not as much. And so, is there a weight disadvantage as someone who carries a couple extra pounds into a go kart? And and if you believe there might be. Should there be weights that can be added to lighter person's cars to make it an even playing field? I'm asking for a friend, not for me.
3: I mean, as someone who weighs around 60 kilograms and is lighter than some of those friends that goes go-karting with, I'm inherently biased to say absolutely no disadvantage of being heavier. <laughs> uh, therefore, there should be absolutely no weights added to a go-kart uh, because it favors me. So, yeah.
0: So that's a good answer. Um, you Just so you know, when you come to SAP's go-kart theme park, we will have the weight situation taken care of. So just be prepared for when that happens. But,
1: uh, yeah. I'll you <laughs> anyway. I, I'm i sensing some real kind of resent, running resentment here, Brian. That, yeah, um, I got to
0: get this guy named Fireball on the podcast one time because he beat me once. And I think it's because I had 60 pounds on him. But that's a different story.
1: <laughs> so definitely nothing to do with your driving skill. It's just all to do with weight, right? So if it mean, was equalized, you would have uh, kicked him, yeah?
0: I'm I don't even think it's up for debate, but <laughs> well, not enough about me, enough about me. So Nimrod, now one other question I have for you before we get to the 100 seconds is, you know, as you look at today's drivers, I'd be curious who you think is kind of the best driver out there if all things were equal. So if you put everybody in the same cars or carts or whatever it may be, but in an equal vehicle, who do you think would come in first?
3: The seems to have some natural talent in it that I don't think anyone else seems to get I get to the same level but I don't like Verstappen so I'm going to go off the top gear result and say Daniel Ricciardo because in the same vehicle he beat Lewis Hamilton who is a seven-time world champion and I would probably say Lewis is only close to max on that level Uh yeah. I think their talent is in different areas though the old that's, Suzuki Liana yeah. I remember oh, that, that yeah. that's
1: that's a superb uh, reference point i completely forgotten about that the star in the reasonably priced car it's uh, and then getting the f1 drivers in as well you're right that was the great equaliser and i think we need to bring that back you know maybe grand tour need to steal it and we need to get clarkson and co back on it again and we need to get all the current f1 drivers in the same uh, same little sedan and you're, see what they can do
0: what you're doing it all wrong what the dirty side needs to do is start our own <laughs> event with our own car and our own track, and we should do it. Why are you giving it to the Grand Tour? This is what we should be Because we don't have any budget? Ah, we'll fake (laughs) fake it till we make it. I love Nimrod's idea, and as a Top Gear fan, uh, I remember the Blue Liana, so that's uh, that's brilliant. All right, obviously, I mean, you know, the highlight of your day uh, is going to be the 100 seconds of DRS. Um, You've already done all the chores in the kitchen. Uh, You've already watched the race and threw your hands up in disgust as Max won. But are you ready, Nimrod, for the 100 seconds of DRS? I guess so. That <laughs> wasn't as resounding as I was expecting from you, sir, but we'll take it. Rob, are you ready to administer the questions?
1: Yes, I am. Are you ready to do the timing? Probably not, but I'm going
0: to give it my best shot. I have the timer ready, gentlemen. In three, two, one,
3: begin.
1: If you could swap the cars out for another type of transportation, what would you like to see all the drivers racing in?
3: Oh, that's the buses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Batman or Superman? Uh, Batman. DRS, good thing or bad thing? Good. Uh, best thing to do on a rainy day?
3: Stay inside and play F1 games.
1: Ooh, nice. Best F1 driver of all time?
3: Ooh. Senna. Uh,
1: do you have any lucky superstitions? No. If you could add a James Bond-style gadget to an F1 car, what would it be?
3: I actually haven't watched any James Bond, but I like the Mario Kart banana uh, <laughs> thing. Fair enough. Uh,
1: favorite musician or musical group? Sabaton. Favorite livery of all time on an F1
3: car? This year's Williams.
1: Mm-hmm. Favorite F1 track? Portimao. What's your favorite cheese? Cheddar. Who's your best? Who's your favorite F1 driver on the uh, on the grid right now? Bottas. Would you rather be chased by one horse-sized duck or ten duck-sized horses?
3: Ten duck-sized horses.
1: <laughs> if you could see two drivers from different areas go head-to-head, which would you like to see go to head?
3: Frost and Hamilton. Oh,
1: nice. would be fun. Sleep in or get up early?
3: I'm a student, so sleep in.
1: <laughs> Favourite non-motor- favorite non-motorsport sport?
3: Uh, road cycling.
1: And that is time. That
0: oh. is time. So well done, sir. Well done. But I have to ask one important follow-up question. Uh, you've never seen a James Bond movie?
3: No, they don't seem to pull me in. You know, man it saves everything in a suit or perfect. and all. Now, I'm more of a Mission Impossible type of guy. I need so to go with your father.
1: That, 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 that's poor, poor parenting that you weren't <sighs> forced to watch all of uh, Sean Connery and uh, Roger Moore as a youngster.
0: He still is a youngster, Rob. We're old, is what the other pro- side of that I, argument I know, is. but
1: he's now into that point where he gets to choose what he wants to watch. He's gone past but, that point where you have to watch what your parents make you watch, right? So but the Daniel Craig
0: ones are still good ones, and those are modern. And so, yeah. uh, mm. no, they are. So, yeah. uh, interesting. Well, I, w- I, w- I don't know if I'd start with the last Daniel Craig, but if you're ever bored, and you feel like streaming something fun, check out his first one as Bond, Casino Royale. It's really quite good, I believe. But anyway, that was, that was fascinating to me. I didn't... Uh, As someone who loves Top Gear and Bond, I thought we were the same guy here, Nimrod. And then you're like, I've never seen Bond.
1: Yeah, that was a bit of a shocker, to be honest. But, you know, never mind. And then as soon as I left, as soon as I asked the whole uh, get up early or stay in bed, I thought, yeah, I'm asking a student here. This is a ridiculous
3: (laughs) question. I've just graduated. So actually, I'm going to have to start waking up early for once my job begins. Oh, well, congratulations on graduation. Yes. Thank you. Well, assuming my exam results went to right have a job in all so i you know have to be waking up in time for that rather than at uh a.m. like today
0: well congratulations on that the dirty side salutes you and thank you for doing this and for taking the time to 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 share your perspectives on F1 uh it's been awesome having you on Nimrod thank you thank you thank you so much
3: thank you it was a pleasure
0: we are really excited oh. to have had Nimrod on thank you so much that was fun as always if you're listening and interested in participating please let us know on Twitter at f1dirtyside or at dirty side of the track at gmail.com. And this week, we're getting ready for Silverstone, which is so exciting. It's the British GP, and since Rob is, you know, uh, he's British, I don't know if you guys picked up on that, we're going to let him kind of run through what to expect this coming week.
1: Yep, I won't take too much uh, time indulging on the British Grand Prix. I will just do the normal kind of uh, preview that we do in terms of kind of a little bit of history of the circuit. So the British Grand Prix went back and forth uh, between Silverstone, Brands Hatch and Aintree between 1950 and 1987 but since 1987 it's been at its home of Silverstone Uh, which is an old RAF base from the 40s, which we'll come on to shortly in terms of some of the little nods to the past that uh, the corner uh, naming conventions has. In terms of the active drivers that we've got at the moment, we've actually only got three that have won here. We've got Lewis with eight wins, and Vettel and Alonso have both got two. Um, So I'm not really sure there's much chance of one of those three adding to that this time. I was shocked by that. Max has not won here? No. No, and actually when we then they look at the constructors. So out of the active constructors that we've uh, still got running, uh, Ferrari lead the way with 16, McLaren with 14, Williams with 10, Mercedes with 9, and Red Bull with 3. Um, so I'm guessing that the two f- wins for Vettel were two of uh, uh, Red Bulls. I'm, I'm not sure, actually. I need to look back to see if Vettel uh, took one of those in a Ferrari. But, yeah, looking at that again, I mean, I don't think there's... Um, I think McLaren and Williams are going to be, and Mercedes are going to be very unlikely to add to those totals. So. Oh, don't write Mercedes off just yet.
0: But uh, Uh, long shot, long shot, I know. But I mean, they may have three uh, stabilizer bars on by then, assuming (laughs) they can get their friend to approve another one. You know, I got to just say this, a shout out to one of my favorite races of all time, the 2020 British Grand Prix. Coming out of COVID, getting so excited to watch live racing, go to Silverstone and and, uh, watch the race on TV, obviously from there. And it was the best, you know, sometimes people complain about F1 not being close at the line. And, you know, when they mean close, they mean like neck and neck, like some NASCAR races finish, you know, right alongside each other. I loved the 2020 British GP. Go check it out, please. Check the highlights, because on the last lap, the leader, Lewis, has a front left blowout. I mean, it's uh, the tire is flapping, and he is trying to finish the race in a hobbled car on three wheels with Max chasing him down and the engineer in his ear, you can hear him giving the time to Max, and it's his voice and the urgency is rising as Lewis is getting near the line.
1: It is tremendous. You got to check it out. Uh, it was a great finish. And talking about kind of the finish then, so a little a little kind of wander around the Silverson Stur- circuit. I'm not going to go and name every single corner here, but I just found an article that went down kind of some of the history behind some of the names on the corners. So uh, one of the first corners, or the first corner, is Abbey Corner, named after a 12th century Luffield Abbey that the remains were discovered just north of the circuit. There you go. Uh, Aintree, that's a tip back to where the British Grand Prix used to be held, even though these days it's more associated with horse racing and the Grand National. Anyone in the US that doesn't know what the Grand National is, then again, go and check that one out. People think the Kentucky Derby is a big horse race. Go and watch a video of the Grand National. You'll, have, you'll have your minds blown. Uh, We've got Loughfield, which is the other half of Abbey. Um, this one maggots. I always just I always just assumed this was something to do with fishermen and going and putting bait on their lines and uh, going fishing with maggots but um which with your confused look now Brian do you know what a maggot is Yeah it has nothing to do with fishing and you wrote
0: here not named for the things fishermen use but rather a nearby moor
1: Yeah so None of you... that
0: makes sense to me Okay so... I know what a moor is only because I'm not an idiot but none of what that says so makes sense So what do you think sense. a maggot is then It's something that a little white bug that crawls out of raw
1: meat or, you know, spoiled food. Okay, so as a lad, if you were going to go fishing in the uh, the morning, you would go to the nearby bait and tackle shop and you would buy live maggots, a little tub of them, and you would go and thread them onto your hook. You're talking about worms? Maggots. Worms. You can go fishing with worms as well, but maggots are also a a well-known bait for fishing. There you go. You learn something uh, new every day, Brian. Every I, day is a school day. I fancy um, myself
0: a fisherman, and I've never used a maggot. So I see
1: you've never gone fishing in, in, in a British river, then. Um, <laughs> I, what must be I British a, fish. They like to bite on maggots. Anyway. What am I going to catch there? I don't know. Anyway, something brown. I'm sure there's fish and chips something, or something with terrible um, sauce. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Silverstone. Hangar straight is then a nod to the airbase. Um, stow. I didn't know what Stowe was. Apparently, it's a nearby private school that Richard Branson went to. So there we go. Um, then we come to the most illustrious corner on all of Silverstone, uh, which is Vale Corner, which apparently is named after the co-host of America's leading F1 podcast. Which if is... only
0: people knew how much we paid to make that corner named after the dirty side of the tracks, Rob Vale. I mean, it is in the high millions. Like We could have had the streaming rights for F1 in the States, but we let ESPN take it because
1: we named it Vale. Exactly. Uh, they had the foresight tonight to name it so many years ahead of the podcast being launched. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fact. I mean, just go Google it. It's definitely named after me. <laughs> um, Club Corner is a nod to uh, the Royal Automobile Club, or as people know it back home, the RAC, as they have, uh, I think, some headquarters nearby and uh, got a long history with the sport. And then also that kind of rounds off the, the the corners and the racetrack. But last but not least about the preview is that it's also the next round of Rob versus Brian the draft. I picked Silverstone out as one of my tracks, so we will be dusting off our rosters this week, taking a look at the fantasy points and uh, praying that I manage to beat Brian on my home track. Well... We'll see. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't bet all the money on it, but we'll see what ends up happening. <laughs> but I think it's... Uh, I'm really looking forward to it next week. I've got to get in touch with uh, the guy at the Iron Horse, but I think we're going to be doing another watch along. It's going to be 10 a.m. Eastern, so it's not too ridiculously early. So uh, keep an eye on social media. Um, if we are doing it, we'll throw it out on uh, Instagram and Twitter and hope to see some folk down there. I was hoping
0: it had kind of broken you, this early morning thing.
1: I thought you were <laughs> going to say, it's not too ridiculously early
0: pause for a beer. And I was going to say 10 a.m. is pretty early for a beer for most people, but you didn't say that, so you're still a normal human. I love it. Now, go drink light beer. This is is
1: later. I mean, the other other race was an 8 a.m. start, I think, Monaco, and I was on the beers then. So this is 10 a.m. I mean, this is almost (laughs) lunchtime.
0: Oh, amazing. Well, as always, we just wanted to say thanks to everybody for listening. We are so excited for the British Grand Prix next week. We will obviously be back next Sunday with a recap of the race. Um, Just thanks so much, Ryan, for listening. And as always, tell a friend.